This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody, and thanks for being with us all week long and a very impactful week in the history of America and the world. And I'm not overstating it. You know, sometimes if you say a statement like that, you're like, well, easy on the hyperbole. No, I'm pretty accurate. Uh, we're never going to forget what we're going through now, like the Depression, uh, like World War I, World War II. Um, it's even bigger than 9-11 because it's affected 180-plus countries, and it's not stopping yet. One in six Americans have lost their jobs, and we know that 90% of the U.S. population is currently under a stay-at-home order. But what's good about it is things are about to change. We'll talk about world challenges. James Stravitas, the admiral uh, with credentials like nobody else, and uh, Congressman Steve Scalise amongst leadership on the Republican side in the House as the president gets set to sign a historic bill, another $484 billion we don't have uh, to uh, bail us out of a crisis that is not our fault. So the president will be signing that around noon today. Steve Scalise with us on why a rescue package for number four doesn't make any sense. We'll discuss that while writing the breaking news. Let's get started. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. And what does the distinguished leader on the Senate side, Mr. McConnell, say? I'm not doing any more bills. I think the state should go bankrupt. Oh, really? What made you think that was a good idea? Uh, because a lot of these blue, uh, blue states have uh, jacked up their budgets to the point, Speaker Pelosi, where they're going to look for the federal government to bail it out. But to pandemic aside, gloves are off. After passing a $2.4 trillion aid package, Republicans indicate they are turning off the faucet, the state-by-state pushback. And what Democrats are determined to do, here's a hint, spend, spend, spend. Number two. We have uh, authorized two clinical trials for vaccines. One is already going and has been for the last month. And that's really good news Mm -hmm. because this virus was only really identified back in January. So really lightning speed for getting this forward. Stephen Hahn, FDA commissioner, talking about making gains on the medical front and the latest on the vaccines and the natural virus killer. We're also going to talk about what the sun can do and what immunity tests are showing us here in New York. Number one. At the present moment, 16 states have released formal reopening plans. States are beginning to make those plans. And we're encouraged to see so many states embracing the phased approach. Uh, There you go. Uh, We do have three phases. And the first phase, many people are getting close to opening up and pushing back. 18 states make moves to go back to work. And Americans are pushing back around the country against ridiculous restrictions on life and liberty. So uh, let's begin. Uh, first off, on the reopening. As I mentioned, uh, Georgia is leading the charge. Uh, today, gyms, barber, barbershops, salons, uh, as well as tattoo parlors are open. I'm for this. Now, all of a sudden, the president isn't. I'm surprised. The president didn't want to shut down the country to begin with. And now Georgia doing something bold. I'm really surprised the president's pushing back like that. I don't know what the story is. Judge reports says the president told um, Governor 
uh, the governor that he was uh, for it and he kind of changed his mind. So that's the one thing. But right behind is going to be North Carolina, uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, right behind is going to be, uh, you're going to be seeing uh, South Dakota, North Dakota, Montana, Wyoming, Wisconsin. So before you could focus too much on Georgia, look around. Other ones are doing it because there's such a downside to waiting around. Uh, the suicides, the livelihoods, the economic uh, devastation is unquantifiable. But the good news is, uh, because of our hard work and because of more evidence on the science side, uh, we are getting on the other side of this. Listen to what Vice President Pence said. Cut to. Our task force actually believes, Mr. President, that if we continue these mitigation efforts in the days ahead, as states implement their policies, including phased reopening that will preserve those gains, we do believe by early summer we could be in a much better place as a nation with, uh, with much of this coronavirus epidemic behind us. And he, and he told Geraldo he thinks we're going to be much of it's going to be down by Memorial Day. But overall, I mean, the numbers are going down all across the country. Yeah, there are hot spots. And when we open up states, there'll be hot spots. I'm for this thing where you can open up a state and then still leave a city uh, somewhat shelter in place. Because, like, New York City is different from Buffalo. Like, Atlanta is different from the rural sections of Georgia. I don't know what is hes- why people are hesitant on doing this. But so many other states are saying, we're just going to leave this uh, locked down until June 1st. We know about Virginia. And then Governor J.R. Pritzker of Illinois says, yeah, we're not coming back. Cut eight. Some states are reopening anyway. That's their choice. I think people might get sick. Uh, many people might get sick as a result of that. But look, it's challenging for people. There's a mental health cost you know, in addition to financial cost um, for everybody. There's, you know, this is going on. It's having an effect on everybody. And so the, I, I, like everybody, I want it to, you know, to be back to normal. But we're not there yet. Uh, that's what he's saying. Uh, but there are protests where people are fed up. In San Diego, over in the San Diego County, uh, Encinitas, about 25 hours north of San Diego, they made national headlines when a group of about 200 people gathered to protest the city's closure of a, ra- a coastal rail trail. Why would you not be able to walk along the coast of South Highway 101? The city's closure of the public spaces came less than a week after the country's Health and Human Services issued an order that prohibited the public from swimming, surfing, paddleboarding, and boating recreational purposes. So if you're paddleboarding, obviously it's dangerous. I've always said that. You know, if you're out swimming, you definitely can pass the disease, especially if you ride this thing called riding a wave. Imagine surfing, all the people you're so close to. What is going on? I don't blame the people of, Illinois, of, uh, of San Diego for doing that. And what about what's happening in the, uh, the suffocating Michigan? Uh, in Michigan, they have had it with uh, governor, uh, uh, the governor of that state, uh, Whitmer. I am stunned that her approval rating is strong because she is not. Uh, she looks so unlikable. She is condescending. And, um, and I think the people have stood up and, and protested her. In fact, protesters gathered outside of her house yesterday. And so, uh, on the same day, reports that emerged that she plans to extend the state's uh, stay-at-home orders for two more weeks until May 15th. The demonstrations were dubbed Operation Queen's Castle. Featured an image of Whitmore wearing a crown. Uh, that was on, uh, on Fox. So my hope is people aren't playing politics with our lives and livelihoods. I fear that. Governor Cuomo and many things he's done well, what I'm hoping is the next step. He looks around and says New York City might be the problem, but Long Island isn't. We're about to find out. But one thing is pretty clear. The antibody tests, 
that he put out there, which he deserves great credit for, have yielded some stunning results. So you know the antibody tests they put out a week ago? They started ferrying them around. They went to big box stores and supermarkets. They said, hey, do you want to take this? Turns out 21% of the American, uh, of the New Yorkers, or people that took the test in New York, uh, 21% had it and have immunity to it. One in five tested positive. 2.7 million people uh, who have said they had it and did not know it with 15,000 lost their lives. So sad that every lost lives is terrible, but 94% in underlying conditions. Doesn't excuse it, but it should educate you on who's in danger. If you do the math, the death rate is 0.5%. And I ask you, and you may say I'm wrong, is it worth shutting down a country if you blow these numbers up and it's 0.5% or less? Or do you shelter in place the people that need protection? Do we help them out and let us help them out additionally by going back to work. That is an advantage. I'm talking about other things that are turns out. UV rays is an advantage. They did a test. And yesterday, we saw some of the gains. This William Bryan, this DHS Undersecretary for Science. He did a test that says, how long does this virus last indoors? Okay. How long does it last outdoors? It almost disappears, which gives us hope that come spring, it gets hot. And when summer, when it definitely gets hot, Things will accelerate in terms of getting rid of this virus, if not for good, temporarily. Cut 12. Our most striking observation to date is the powerful effect that solar light appears to have on killing the virus, both surfaces and in the air. We've seen a similar effect with both temperature and humidity as well, where increasing the temperature and humidity or both is generally less favorable to the virus. Great. Unbelievable. President took it a step further. Cut 16. And then I see the disinfectant where it knocks it out in a minute, one minute. And is there a way we can do something like that uh, by injection inside or, or almost a cleaning? Because you see it gets on the lungs and it does a tremendous number of the lungs. So it'd be interesting to check that so that you're going to have to use medical doctors with. But it sounds it sounds interesting to me. Yeah, and by the way, there, there is something like that. And I remember after 9-11, the firefighters used it. And believe it or not, the Christian scientists uh, actually put it together that actually cleaned out people's respiratory systems because I know a good friend of mine that did it. So he's thinking theoretically, and then people went to town with that and started talking about how Donald Trump is trying to be a medical doctor. He's thinking out loud. He's one of us. People got to just relax. When we come back, Admiral James Stravitas joins us. We got challenges in Iran and a strategy to neutralize and make China pay. How do you do that? And what about the Secretary of State on the offense yesterday calling out China? Senator Tom Cotton's been there all along. I dare any Democrat to say we're being too tough. But what is the big plan here? We're going to talk about it with with Admiral James Javidis and then go inside a rescue four package that Republicans say is not going to happen. Uh, with Congressman Steve Scalise. Then I'm going to take your calls and get to your emails. So many people emailed me last night, especially about the PPP program. I'm going to get to it and expose it. So back in a moment. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, 
to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. I am very confident that the Chinese Communist Party will pay a price for what they did here, certainly from the United States. I don't know exactly what form that'll take. Our our focus today isn't on that. It's on making sure we keep Americans safe. But I talk to business people all around the country. I talk to ordinary citizens, people who have put their lives at risk over the last weeks. They know that this is a result of this virus that originated in Wuhan, China. And uh, to go with that, Australia also says they're going to combine with the U.S. to get answers on how this all started and all the steps that were missed to allow 180 countries to become infected. Joining us now, Admiral James Stavridis, the 16th Supreme Allied Commander of NATO, author of Sailing True North, 10 Admirals in the Voyage of Character. Admiral, there's a price to pay for China. China's going to have a price to pay. He's not sure what price and how to do it. What are his options? I think there's three ways China could end up paying for what has occurred here. Uh, first is going to be, I think what's in the secretary's head is some form of compensation, probably taking the form of uh, assistance, medical supplies, hard goods that can be delivered to nations that have been afflicted. Um, is that a possibility? I think it is. And I think China will want to do some level of that. Number two, I think what's in the secretary's head is the regime will pay a leadership price for this, Brian. They will be uh, forced over time because of that uh, reduction in trust with the people. Um, I think what the secretary means is that the protests we see in China will potentially uh, over time increase. And then thirdly, there's an economic price for China to pay simply as nations say, do we really want our vital supply chains originating in a country um, that has a propensity to this kind of outbreak and is uh, therefore unreliable? I think probably it's an amalgam of those three things, but I think where the international community ought to go first is ascertain exactly how this happened and particularly if it was a result of uh, malfeasance or gross neglect, uh, then there ought to be a hard physical price, cash, goods, services that would compensate nations that have been infected. 
Probably the most, uh, there's so many irresponsible things they did and still not letting the WHO or us in there. Number two is, yeah, they locked down Wuhan, but they let their, they let their citizens travel all around the world and infect all of Europe who infected us, let alone the direct uh, aspect of the Chinese citizens who were infected hitting the West Coast and some parts of New York. I mean, is that a lack of coordination or is that who cares about the rest of the world? I'm going to lock down this city. You guys can travel. What do you think? I, I agree with you. Um, there, China has an enormous amount to answer for here. And I think it, it, it goes beyond simple negligence. I don't think this part, as you see floating around the Internet, of some kind of sophisticated Chinese plot to develop a particular virus, unleash it in the world, get the vaccine first. That, I think, is all nonsense. Um, I think this is um, gross negligence. There ought to be a price to be paid for that, both politically and economically. All right. And lastly, I just think Japan gave us a template. They made it a national policy now to start beginning to pulling any manufacturing out of that country. We should do the yeah. exact same thing. Listen, it's going to listen. Think, uh, XYZ uh, company. The president's got to do it. I know it's a free market, laissez-faire approach. But uh, these companies have to have some type of regulation. If you're going to go build bikes over there, I'm not sure that that's a national security threat. But if you're going to be building now, um, any type of medical supplies, any type of drugs, certainly weaponry, and now electronics. I think we got to revisit it. I don't know how you get us out of there, but I think that the, our next leader, there's going to be an urging among the American, American people to do it. That is absolutely correct. And I think you nailed it in terms of the four supply chains that are at the top of everybody's list to examine. I'm fine if people make T-shirts in China. I'm fine if people make hand tools in China. Uh, but I want uh, a drug chain that originates in the United States. I want our vital electronics in the United States. goes without saying on weapons. And we've certainly learned the lesson on medical supplies. So I would say right. in the wake of all this, after the election, when temper is cool, whoever is in the White House, we do need a national commission honestly, bipartisan people from both parties, real scientists on it, tell us what happened right. here and how we avoid this going forward. I think if we do that, top of that work list is going to be getting companies that we mentioned out of China. And the way to do that is to incentivize that with a tax structure, Brian. You got it. Uh, so Iran uh, has answered us back after the president said this. Cut 41. We don't want their gunboats surrounding our boats and traveling around our boats and uh, having a good time. We don't want them anywhere near our boats. And so you know the order I gave. I don't think I have to say it again, but I've given that order. So if they do that, that's putting our ships at danger and our great crews and sailors at danger, in danger. I'm not going to let that happen. And we will. They'll shoot them out of the water. And they essentially said uh, Iran has come out. Uh, Zarif said the U.S. military is hit by 5,000 COVID-19 infections. Trump should uh, attend to their needs, not engage in threats cheered by Saddam Hussein's terrorists. Also, U.S. forces have no business 7,000 miles away from home. Uh, so that's their reaction. I like that the president put a gauntlet down there. But if you're an admiral on a warship, what, what are your marching orders? Yeah, I, your marching orders really haven't changed, is the bottom line. And for the president to send a little shot across the Iranian's bow, and he did it, you know, in his language, not in diplomatic language, not in military speak, 
that's fine. Um, the the nothing has changed, which is as follows. And this is from the time I was a young lieutenant commander in a cruiser with Iranian aircraft coming at me in the late 1980s, Brian, up to being a two-star admiral in command of a, a carrier strike group centered on the nuclear aircraft carrier enterprise. You always have the right of self-defense. It's the decision of the commanding officer of the Gotcha. But I tell you what, the they had guns on those small ships. I'm going to have to hold it there, Admiral. We're up against a break, and you're kind of breaking up a little bit, but I got it. Steve Scalise next. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. What we hope to accomplish is a comprehensive economic game plan uh, after quickly taking a deep dive into key sectors of the state's economy, how those sectors have been impacted by COVID-19, and how business-related activities can be safely re-energized both in the short term uh, and in the longer term to ensure uh, our overall success during this unprecedented time of difficulty uh, and uncertainty. Louisiana Governor John Bell Edwards talks about reopening in his uh, state because uh, they did dodge a bullet. And um, sadly, we lost 1,540 Louisiana residents uh, to the uh, coronavirus. Uh, 25,739 actually had it, but they bent the curve and they dodged a bullet. And a lot of the materials and a lot of the back and a lot of the Uh, A lot of the aid was not needed, thankfully. Joining us now to talk about that and what's happening in Washington, Congressman Steve Scalise. Congressman, welcome back. Um, How is Louisiana? How close are you guys to start opening up certain sectors? Well, Brian, first, it's good to be back with you. And, you know, things in Louisiana are getting better, especially in the New Orleans region, which had been really hard hit. And, you know, you saw a full focus, everybody from the president to our governor, uh, to our hospital heads especially, pulled together, uh, got the tools they needed. And, you know, clearly there was there was a large loss of life, but uh, the curve is coming down. We're seeing the number of people on ventilators is decreasing. Those are all the kind of signs you want to see long-term for a recovery. And, uh, look, I mean, it's important that we start talking now about what the next steps are to open the economy. And, you know, Congress passed another big relief package yesterday. But the, the, the small businesses I talked to, you know, they, they know if we go another month or longer without uh, them being able to start opening and, and getting some kind of cash flow, uh, there are a lot of businesses that won't make it through that. And you've got to have a, an economic recovery to go along with a health recovery. And you can do both at the same time. It's not a trade-off between the two, Brian. So, you know, we've got to focus on making sure that the health and safety of people uh, continue to increase as people recognize that, you know, we're going to have to live with this. We're going to have to social distance and wash our hands more when we're out in yeah. public. But people want to start getting back out in public. And, and if you want to have a job to go back to, if your business wants to be able to stay afloat uh, in a few months from now, you've got to start getting back uh, to work and getting our economy back up and running soon. Yeah, let me have the right to fail. I'd like to try. All right, we get it. We've been educated. Let me get back up. And I think the people who are in Atlanta uh, feel a lot like the rest of America. 97% of the U.S. population 
under a stay-at-home, shelter-in-place. Georgia is one of the first to lead the charge to start lifting up certain uh, industries like uh, hair salons, like tattoo parlors, like gyms. You can now go there. And I think Texas is doing a lot, too. Uh, right behind will be South Carolina. But meanwhile, uh, you guys passed another, uh, another uh, rescue bill. So we call it 3.5. And it was $484 billion. And guess who uh, blames you for the delay? Uh, none other than uh, Nancy Pelosi. Cut 32. Uh, Mitch McConnell likes to say we delayed the bill. No, he delayed the bill. Uh, a month, uh, two weeks ago, he came to the floor and said, this is all we're doing, just the 250. And the Democrats were reunited, House and Senate. The Senate Democrats went to the floor and said no. No to that. We have a better idea. So we were very pleased that he finally came around to the, the fact that we had to go forward with this. Okay, make sense of that. Well, you know, you can you can try to reimagine what history was, but you can't recreate what happened in history in terms of what the, over the last few weeks who was blocking this aid. And, you know, you know, some people are hanging out eating ice cream so much that they're not realizing that there were small businesses dying on the vine when Speaker Pelosi was saying that she wasn't going to give them the relief unless they got other things. You had one of her uh, top leaders, one of the heads of the main caucus uh, in the Democrat Party, the squad, saying that they were going to use the small business aid as leverage. Her quote was leverage to get other things, Brian. So ultimately, when you had a program like the Paycheck Protection Program, which is the lifeline that's keeping our small businesses afloat right now, and oh, by the way, there's millions of Americans that rely on that. Uh, Over the two weeks that Speaker Pelosi delayed at bringing that relief package to the floor, there were millions more people added to the unemployment rolls. Look, just a few days ago, another 4.4 million people were announced added to the unemployment rolls. How many of those 4.4 million people would not have been unemployed if Speaker Pelosi would have brought that relief package to the floor two weeks ago instead of waiting, not even till the midnight hour, because we were saying weeks right. ago President Trump was asking for that aid weeks ago before it ran out of money because we knew it was going to. Uh, and instead, she didn't even wait till the midnight hour. She waited for a week after the midnight hour to finally bring the bill to the floor. So, you know, you, again, you right. can't you can't recreate what really happened. She held the bill up and I think she paid a price for it politically. Uh, and now she's trying to shift blame to somebody else and it's not going to fly. I don't know. For some reason, she never seems to pay the price, even though she's oftentimes incomprehensible. Uh, and she does things like eating in front of a you know multi-million dollar refrigerator complex overlooking the ocean while well, well, one out of every six Americans is out of a job, and she's kidding around on late-night television, and she seems to have gotten a pass on that. It's just stunning to me. But in terms of a way forward that really affects people's lives, Mark Cuban has been asked to help out on a, one of those councils as an expert in sports and uh, business, said this, cut 36. There will be a period of pain, um, you know, and, and it's unfortunate. Um, we're going to go through a reset. We, you know, it's really difficult to know what America 2.0 is going to look like, particularly at the beginning. And so all businesses of all sizes are going to be reevaluating. And again, I, I'll go back to the fact that I really prefer small government and small um, intrusions. But now it's going to be a little bit different. I think we're going to have to see extended unemployment benefits. We may have to see a federal minimum wage. We kind of have a federal minimum minimum wage, uh, but 
what do you think about his ideas and where we might be heading as we speculate? Well, Brian, I think that everybody's looking at different ways for how to get the economy to come back. And nobody really can tell you what it's going to look like those first few weeks. And, and even with sporting events, and, you know, of course, Mark owns an NBA team, and the NBA was in the middle of their season. And so, the, the, you know, you look at last night was the NFL draft. Great to see uh, Joe Burrow go number one. But, you know, the NFL can plan on having a regular NFL season, and hopefully medicine and other techniques will catch up by the time we get to September where you can have a, a full football stadium. And I hope we should all have that as a goal. But in the meantime, the NBA knows that they can't next week start having NBA games with fans in the stands uh, because people are going to have to take some time uh, until they realize that it's safe to go back out in public amongst large groups of people. Right. And, and some of the protocols are going to have to change, too. And by the way, the NBA and Major League Baseball are probably going to be at the forefront of helping figure that out. I've talked to uh, some owners of major sports franchises about what it's going to take to uh, to start giving people confidence because you as a fan might want to go back uh, to see your team play, but are you going to go in the stadium in, in three weeks to be around thousands of people? Uh, if there are certain protocols that are improved and you're seeing medical technology catch up with this disease and hopefully that advances, then I think we will yeah. get to that point in a few weeks. Uh, Congressman, is there going to be a fourth rescue bill? Uh, because Mitch McConnell wants to pause it and he says writing checks to the states is not going to happen. What do you think? Well, Brian, you just think about the fact that now we have over $3 trillion of relief packages that have been passed. And, and while this is a unique situation and, you know, the, the government did tell all of these businesses to stop operating and you needed to have help coming, you can't just keep adding trillions more onto our national debt and think it's not going to have long-term consequences too. And so we've got to get people beyond the point of, wondering when the next relief package is and start thinking about how to make all of this relief that we passed work effectively for people and then how to get our economy back open. And look, some of the states that are yelling the most for a bailout, by the way, Brian, were states that were asking for a bailout prior to COVID-19 that had huge financial problems. I mean, the state of New York had a budget deficit, billions of dollar budget deficit before COVID-19. And so, you know, to think that they can just try to roll in uh, something that's going to mask their financial problems because they tax too high and they run businesses out of their state and they run people out of their state. Uh, this isn't the place to go to look for that. There's trillions of dollars that have been passed, including a big relief package for states. There was a, it's funny, yesterday you had people talking about, you know, we need to do relief for states as if they forgot that we just passed $150 billion of relief for states in the CARES package. 3.0 had that money. By the way, that money just hit states like my state of Louisiana and every other state just hit earlier this week. So the states are getting that that relief package already to think they, you know, they need to come to Washington for another relief package uh, to bail out problems they had prior to COVID-19. That's just not where where people are. So uh, the president's uh, 540 Eastern time press conferences that go on for an hour and a half, two hours looks like if the polls are telling the truth, they're not working for them. If you see the arguing that's happening, it doesn't work for the audience that's even apolitical, that just wants to get answers on this pandemic. Uh, and then yesterday, the president was commenting on something medical that I understood what he meant, but it just gave an opportunity for his critics to tee off. Cut, uh, this is um, him disagreeing with Anthony Fauci on testing. Cut 14. 
Dr. Fauci said that the U.S. is not uh, in a situation where we can say we are where we want to be with regard to testing capacity. He said we need much more testing capacity as well as tests. We're just not there uh, yet. No, I don't agree with him on that. No, I think we're doing a great job on testing. I don't agree. If he said that, I don't agree with him. Well, I mean, do you really want to be up there disagreeing with your medical team? Shouldn't that have been worked out in the Oval Office? Well, and look, I've, I've seen some of these press conferences where some of the people in the media audience there just want to get into fights with the president. The, the reporters themselves are yelling at the president. And even if he's answering the question the way that they, they might expect the answer, they're trying to make it confrontational. But in the end, the president no has question. talked about the increase in the increase in testing. I mean, we are ramping up testing and we want to keep ramping that up because it's got to be more widely available. And that's why the president's been getting the FDA. Think about this, Brian. The FDA has approved new tests like that Abbott machine that you see. And there are other machines that are being approved as we speak, the saliva test. Uh, that would have taken maybe two years for the FDA typically to approve that. They're doing this in a matter of days and weeks. And that's because the president's moving red tape out of the way. So, you know, there'll be a time for politics. And look, I hope Joe Biden gets out there more and more. Uh, you know, people are alarmed when they see that sometimes he doesn't even know where he is or what office he's running for. But there's going to be a time for the presidential election. Uh, frankly, some of the numbers I've seen show the president doing incredibly well, some of his best numbers. And, you know, just like the polling that showed Hillary Clinton was going to win the presidential race, you know, I think there's some of that going on. But in the meantime, the president's still leading. He's dealing with an incredibly challenging time right now, and, and we're fighting this invisible enemy, and we're seeing breakthroughs every day, breakthroughs in science, uh, breakthroughs in technology, and we're seeing the private sector coming up with more innovative ways uh, to get through this as well. So, you know, the president's doing his job, and that is leading and letting governors, by the way, lead too. And, you know, you, you showed a clip earlier of my governor, uh, John Bell Edwards, talking about reopening Louisiana. He's a Democrat. There are Republicans and Democrats uh, that are uh, leading their states through this, and the, the president's given them the, the flexibility to do that. But that's what a leader does. He gives guidance, brings in no, the no, best experts. And I agree. All the best experts don't always agree. But at the same time, you know, you are seeing an increase in the ability to test. We need to keep advancing that. No, I hear you. But would you like to see the president cut these short? You think 90 minutes is too much? I mean, some of these guys get four or five shots of the, uh, at the president to ask a question. And whether they're yeah, right or wrong should, in the hospital, they hospital limit, they ask uh, it. don't you think we should cut it? Don't you think we should cut it back? Well, maybe they should limit some of those reporters that, that are just looking for a fight. You know, give me your, you know, what is your first or second question? But, you know, have them ask five or six questions that are all rooted in, you know, uh, conspiracies. And they're trying to get the president to, to answer hypotheticals and get into a fight with another governor. Uh, you know, I think people are tired of that side of, of the fake press. And, you know, and, and I think people have, have seen through that. But in the meantime, the president is trying uh, to to go out and show that, you know, he's not afraid of taking questions and he's going to give as much data as he can. And, you know, there's there are things we're learning right. every day. So it's not like all the science is final on this. I mean, you know, I, I saw Harvard study that came out the other day that said it's going to be until 2024 that our economy is going to be back to normal and that we're going to be able to go out and socially distance or without social distancing. Uh, does anybody really think that it's going to take us until 2024 to figure this no. out. But they can come up with studies and say whatever they want. And when they're wrong, by the way, Brian, they never go back and correct their mistakes, you know, but they throw it out there. Right. We've got to be smart about what, what's in front of us, what we know. And families are going to be smart about getting back out in public, even 
today you go to a grocery store, it's a different experience than when you went three weeks ago because people are doing more to protect themselves and their family, but they're recognizing they can start getting out in a safe way and in a smart way, and that's what we've got to start focusing on now. All right, thanks, uh, Congressman. Have a great weekend and uh, continue uh, to bend the curve over Louisiana. Will do, Brian. Always great to be back. Same here. Uh, when we come back, uh, we're going to take a little bit. Uh, we're going to take your calls on anything that's on your mind. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. And guess what happened yesterday? Sports, kinda NFL draft. We'll discuss it. Like millions of fans, I join you from my home for the first virtual NFL draft. This is different for us, and it's different for you. Lastly, the best part of the draft is that it restores hope and generates optimism because every team gets better through the draft. It's Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. one 408 7669 There's a lot going on today. Did you guys see the NFL draft last night? Amazing. Uh, they pulled it off. I mean, this is something brand new. I know it's the NFL, the premier sports uh, league in, in the entire country, but the first time they're doing it on Zoom, they had to go into play, uh, the players. They had to go into the coaches. All these different locations. I thought they did a great job. Uh, I really did. Joe Burrow goes first. Uh, the big news is Tampa makes a move. Now they got a huge behemoth offensive lineman to protect Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski. And then you have Tua go over to Miami to be their franchise quarterback. And then someone tell Aaron Rodgers they just drafted a quarterback in the first round. I thought he had some years left. Uh, kind of surprising to me. Frank, you're listening in uh, Pennsylvania, Kensington, Pennsylvania on 94.9. What's up, Frank? How you doing, Brian? I want to thank you for all the great work you do on your shows, plural. And uh, thank you. so I'm curious what your take is on the congressional oversight uh, that they've added to the stimulus, I suppose. And specifically, California has now uh, just stated that they are going to give a chunk of that money to yes. illegal uh, aliens, illegal yep. immigrants, whatever you call them. In other words, for some version of humanitarian aid, I think that would be a great place for the congressional oversight to look at first before anything. Absolutely. Else. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, a lot of the people overlooking over the shoulder, like people like uh, Nancy Pelosi puts in place who believe in sanctuary cities or somebody with that great governor, uh, Pritzker, would love to have a sanctuary city and illegal aliens paid for while crying poverty at the same time. I'm not for it because I don't trust it. Oversight is great. I need it. I don't want USC to get any of this money. I don't want Notre Dame to get any of this money. I didn't want Shake Shack to get this money. I didn't want, uh, I didn't want Princeton to get this money. I didn't want Harvard to get this money. I wanted to see the oversight because obviously people are going to go for the free money, which is our money. But I just don't trust the Democrats after watching the immig- uh, immigration, excuse me, the impeachment, and after watching the Mueller, uh, the Mueller fiasco, we're going to put those same people in charge of trying to hold the president accountable? Please. It's all agenda-driven. Thanks so much for the call. Brian, kill me, Joe. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. 
Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's going to be a big hour. Geraldo is scrambling to get ready. And Senator John Kennedy, we always love talking to him. He can turn a phrase like nobody else. Member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, Budget Appropriations Committee. He's concerned like all of us. We're writing checks on uh, for money we don't have. It's huge into our overdraft account on the government. We're in a crisis pandemic. Things should be done. Uh, we'll talk about that because there's a big push now to get another uh, rescue package out there. We'll discuss that. Uh, Mayor de Blasio talking right now about New York. My fear is they're just going to extend this thing to June 1st. When I say extend this thing, that means keep business shut down. A lot of advances on the medical side. We'll discuss it. We're also going to discuss the opening of America one more time as more and more countries, including Italy, are talking about steps to reopening again. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. And what does the distinguished leader on the Senate side, Mr. McConnell, say? I'm not doing any more bills. I think the state should go bankrupt. Oh, really? What made you think that was a good idea? Gloves are off. After passing a $2.4 trillion aid package, Republicans indicate they're turning off the faucet. The state-by-state pushback and what Democrats are determined to do, here's a hint. Spend, spend, spend. Number two. We have uh, authorized two clinical trials for vaccines. One is already going and has been for the last month. And that's really good news because this virus was only really identified back in January. So really lightning speed for getting this forward. Making gains on the medical front, the latest on the vaccines and natural virus killer. It's now called heat in the sun. Number one. At the present moment, 16 states have released formal reopening plans. States are beginning to make those plans. And we're encouraged to see so many states embracing the phased approach. Yeah, well, we set up phases. Mike Pence talking about it, opening up and pushing back. 16 states making moves to go back to work. And Americans are pushing back around the country against ridiculous restrictions on life and liberty, like no surfing or paddleboarding paddleboarding, uh, in the ocean or sunbathing, or walking with a tra- in a trail by yourself in the outdoors. That's why people even in San Diego are protesting. That's why they're going in front of the governor of Michigan's house, because she's not letting you buy seed or house supplies, and making you stay at home. Way over the top. So let's bring in uh, Geraldo Rivera, who's never over the top. He's always <laughs> even keeled and never gets angry. Fox News correspondent at large, author of The Geraldo Show. Uh, Geraldo, I know you have a big interview today uh, with the vice president, and we just rolled in a shot of him. What did he tell you? He just told me, Brian, that he expects that by Memorial Day weekend, the coronavirus pandemic will, quote, largely be behind us. Uh, and that he anticipates that by that weekend, and certainly into the first uh, week or two of June, uh, a reopening, generally speaking, of the country, with the exception of certain uh, really virulent hotspots, maybe like uh, the Bronx and Queens in New York, for example. Yeah, here's Dr. Deborah Burks uh, talking optimistically. Cut five. We are starting to go down. We have a long, we had a long flat peak, um, largely driven, of course, by New York, which is about 45 or so percent of the cases. Um, as you, New York goes down, so will the rest of the country have a decline even more accelerated. 
So as we know, the ramifications of staying at home and not getting our economy going, I was really surprised the president is against what Brian Kemp is doing in Georgia, opening up. He says, listen, uh, open up the massage uh, places. Kemp, first of all. Opening. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, the, the president really, I don't, I don't think he likes Brian Kemp. Uh, they had a big fight. Uh, remember our friend Doug Collins uh, wanted the job of senator, uh, uh, the re- retiring Georgia senator. Wanted, uh, D- we wanted Doug Collins to replace him. Instead, uh, Brian Kemp picked the lady with the beautiful hair and the, uh, the deep pockets who sold Kelly Stauffer. Uh, yeah, she sold all her stock uh, after getting a briefing that the market was about to collapse. Uh, and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the president never had uh, Kelly. Yeah, Kelly. Uh, I, I think that Brian Kemp is way out of line in terms of the businesses, the types of businesses that he opened in a kind of uh, cavalier manner, t- tattoo parlors, beauty parlors. Uh, you know, I, I, I believe there's definitely room for reopening. I think that the vice president is spot on when he says Memorial Day. Why Brian Kemp needed uh, uh, to jump the ball, not even waiting till May 1st. Uh, I, I I think it's an insult to the president, and he deserved uh, getting reamed by the president from the stage of the briefing yesterday, Brian. Uh, you know what? I, I, I appreciate what you're saying, and I think you're right, and I do think she has lovely hair. So all these things we agree on. But I will, but I will, say, but I will say this. They spoke in the morning, so the president knew what he was going to do. And then to double down the next day, I actually fully support him because most of the deaths and most of the cases were in Albany. You could say in Atlanta, if they have a problem, look, if I have a tattoo parlor or a hair salon, I'm getting the N95 mask. I'm making sure people feel comfortable. I'm letting people do their nails. They're wearing masks anyway there. And I'm letting people go and do these things. I'm not forcing them to do these things. And I like the fact that somebody's got to take the lead. Why not Georgia? So I have have no problem with it. I'm in the minority because Doug Collins came out against it, too. But I hope it works. And guess who's right behind it? South Carolina, Texas, uh, Missouri, North Dakota. They're all doing the same thing. They're just a few days difference. So why don't they just hold the uh, hold their horses, uh, keep their powder dry, respect the president's uh, uh, May 1st uh, uh, edict for the end of uh, the beginning of uh, phase one? Why can't they wait one week? Why do they have to, you know, make a splash in the uh, in the local newspaper or more uh, likely on CNN, some anti-Trump uh, media? I think it's ridiculous. Why don't you be respectful to the president? Uh, you know, it's uh, things are working out. Uh, why do you want to be like the, the one jerk-off who can't wait? Uh, uh, you know, it's one thing to go to Wendy's and get it at the, at the, the takeout window. It's another thing to go and sprawl in the restaurant and uh, demand to be served uh, when you scratch in your armpit next to someone. You know, come on, give it a break. No, restaurants, are, no, no, restaurants aren't it. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, Governor Kevin Stitt of Oklahoma. we got two great stations in Oklahoma. Um, they're starting on Friday today. Personal care businesses can reopen for appointment. Sporting venues and gyms will reopen the following week. Uh, there's going to be strict social distancing, just like in Georgia. So uh, bars, however, will not be uh, uh, will still be closed. So uh, Mike DeWine in a couple of days. So someone's got to take the lead. But let's talk about something else that's happening in New York. Wait, New wait, York is done with do, their immunity. I have, to, I have to voice my Go ahead. firm protest. How, I, how dare you? 
to uh, allow what? bars to be closed and tattoo parlors to be open? What kind of science is that? You know, very <laughs> easy. It's one on one. Someone's arm, they're going to bleed uh, at the bar. The last time I saw, and no one, uh, you know, unless there's a fight and they break their bottle, and there's not any blood going to be drawn, and you just sit six feet apart. I think the bars inherently are safer than beauty parlors or tattoo parlors. But anyway, he could have waited well, a week to, out of respect to the president, oh, who's a member of his own party, who leads his own party. Uh, the president suddenly retweeted uh, my tweet promoting my interview with the vice president, endorsing the vice president's call uh, for Memorial Day to be the beginning uh, of, the, uh, of the end of this, uh, this melancholy closure. Well, by the way, if you don't open up bars, no one's getting tattoos because everyone knows you need a few drinks before you go to the tattoo parlor. <laughs> so it's going to just cancel each other out. Very good point. I made a very good point if I do say so myself. Uh, all right. California Governor, uh, this is going to be a tough one for me and you, but California Governor Newsom, uh, who's really been uh, putting politics aside, his politics are stepping up. He's talking about taking tens of millions of dollars and giving it to illegal immigrants. Uh, this is money meant for American citizens. So in comes, uh, in comes the political agenda. Does it bother you? It's true. It is a political agenda, and I think the uh, Democrats would be in a much stronger position if they had someone like uh, Andrew Cuomo or Gavin Newsom heading up their ticket. Uh, you know, someone young and vibrant and uh, reasonably competent as an executive of a big entity, in one case New York State, uh, and then the uh, second largest, and then New California, the largest, larger than many countries, and the fifth largest economy in the world. I think that Net Gavin Newsom's done a great job, specifically on the issue of uh, illegal immigrants or undocumented immigrants, as I like to call them. Brian, you and I have had many head-to-head uh, you know, head-knocking sessions over uh, what to do and how to care for or treat or respond to uh, undocumented yep. immigrants, illegal immigrants. Yep. I think that immigrants who come here, however they got here, and pay their taxes to a numbered account, as millions of them do, so they don't get uh, caught in uh, income tax evasion. Uh, they do pay their income tax. They pay to a numbered account. They never get any Social Security benefits from that account uh, they are legal, though, in the sense that they are not committing tax evasion. They are paying their taxes. If you're paying your taxes to a numbered account, however, the, however anonymous it may be, in my view, you should qualify for right. all of the programs that people who file normal income tax returns are, are able to get. All right. And, uh, and, the, uh, and the guy from Sudan who wants to come here waiting for his green card to come here legally, uh, they should be treated the same exact way of somebody who snuck in there at night and paid off somebody yep. to uh, escort him through the southern border. But uh, here's what Governor Gav, this is what I fear. Uh, you, yeah, but real quick, uh, here's what Governor Gavin Newsom said. Let's not uh, mask his intentions. Cut 34. I'm wondering if you see the potential as some others in the party do, for a new progressive era, if you want to call it that, in um, national politics and policy. Absolutely, we see this as an opportunity to reshape uh, the way we do business and how we govern. Game on. Uh, well, if California just like has open borders, California is going to uh, get over the... Uh, everyone is uh, admiring the clean air and the no traffic 
you know, if they have, uh, if California defies the president and any reasonable immigration policy and invites untold numbers of people to pour across the southern border or climb over the fence or tunnel under it or drive their boats around it or their, uh, their drones over it, I, I think that he's going to face a, a rebellion among many Latinos who are legally uh, resident of California, among other California residents, you can't just say in a state that's going to be, uh, you know, strapped financially in the in the in the embers of this epidemic. You just can't say, uh, you know, the doors open, come one, come all. It's a, it's a policy that if the Democrats promote, uh, will cause them to lose the election. Nobody is for open borders that has any sense at all. So, uh, Rob, the last thing, just put your analyst hat on for a second. We saw the Fox News poll that has the president trailing in Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Florida. Uh, right? Do you think right now, looking forward at November, do you think the president's in trouble? Uh, the reason I say no, I mean, you never want to be trailing in a key poll. And Fox News is very scientific. If they tell you you're trailing, you are trailing. Uh, but I, I will say, Brian, that remember, right now, Donald Trump's been running against himself. Uh, Joe Biden has not been the candidate. Joe Biden's hunkered down in his basement uh, bunker, uh, is uh, giving uh, interviews once or twice and doing them disastrously. Uh, Trump doesn't have an opponent right now. He really, it's, uh, it's, it's the anti-Trump vote that's being manifest in these, uh, in these polls. And I submit to you, if indeed the vice president is right, and the epidemic is largely behind us by Memorial Day weekend. By the June polls, you will see a much closer race. And as the summer tolls on and people, uh, you know, get used to the new liberty of the post-epidemic life, I think that Donald Trump will ride that uh, wave of uh, relief and uh, that this uh, horrible plague is behind us uh, to a big summer and then uh, – you know, if Joe Biden does not duck the uh, the debates, I think Trump will uh, will run circles around him. Godzilla will be on the stage. John, uh, Joe Biden will not know <laughs> what hit him, and uh, I think that the president will be reelected. But you know, it's never easy for a Republican. Republicans have uh, you know uh, structural uh, reasons. Uh, you know, a lot more Democrats demographically in the country than there are Republicans. He's got to have a lot of things go right for him to be reelected. But I say even though he's trailing right now, to summarize and to answer your question, I think that by a month or six weeks from now, uh, certainly two months from now, you'll see Trump resurgent along with the stock market. 20 seconds. Would you join the administration if the president gets four more years? Well, you know, I thought about it. I, I wouldn't want to go before hostile Senate and they bring up my divorces or whatever. But, uh, you know, I, I, I prefer in a way I prefer my role as kind of an un, uh, unofficial just friend of the president. Uh, have dinner with him once in a while mm -hmm. and just uh, shoot the shoot. Right. Thanks for editing yourself. <laughs> All right. Uh, Rado, congratulations on the vice president interview. Uh, it, it makes it make it a ton of news as usual with everything you do. Geraldo Rivera, have a great weekend. Thanks. OK, bro. You too, bro. Even even though every day is the exact same. Uh, back in a moment. one 408 7669 Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Dominich, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Dominich Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. 
He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. When it comes to fairness, uh, New York State puts much more money into the federal pot than it takes out, okay? We put in to that federal pot $116 billion more than we take out, okay? His state, the state of Kentucky, takes out $148 billion more than they put in. Senator McConnell, who's getting bailed out here? It's your state that is living on the money that we generate. Uh, that is Governor Cuomo uh, going ahead and putting out some numbers in response to Mitch McConnell coming out saying, I don't think we're writing checks to states to pay off their bills. Because, because going into this pandemic, despite the fact that New York was thriving, they were at a $6 billion budget deficit. And if you can't, this governor has been there forever. He can't blame anybody else. It's all his spending and his increase in taxes. What they did is they put these millionaires' taxes in. They started taxing everything in, in terms of property. Schools were going down. People are leaving by droves. They're leaving Chicago. They're leaving California to go to Florida and Texas and Tennessee. And what McConnell is saying, yeah, we're a smaller state. But you can't expect us to, ba- uh, to bail you guys out because if we bail you guys out, you're going to get the wrong message. We don't want you this opportunity. We want this uh, crisis to go to waste if it comes to spending. But I do think some states are going to need some money and backing. But we just got to make sure it doesn't go to deficits. And when you see Gavin Newsom come out and says, hey, I'm going to take some of the money that I got from the government and I'm going to pay illegal immigrants, it makes you throw up your hands. A sanctuary state taking money and giving to people that don't belong here. Please. Real quick, let's go out to Dawn. Listen on WDBO in Orlando. Dawn. Hey, how are you, Brian? Good, Dawn. What's on your mind? Real quick. A couple things. Well, one thing, main thing. The governor of Georgia, Kemp, he's responsible for his state. He's responsible for balancing his budget. As you pointed out, they don't do that so much in New York. But if he as he has, that's his responsibility. If he disagrees with the president, it's okay. I know. I do. I, I don't think they hate each other. I think it would have been great if Governor Kemp put Todd Collins, uh, Doug Collins up there and not this, uh, this rich person who really has no experience and now did some accused of insider trading. But I think that Kemp is being bold. He knows his state. Let him go. And they'll have a quick reaction team should things get hot again. Brian Kilmer. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Information you want, truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Given the unique burden on hospitals, uh, we are now encouraging states to restart elective surgeries wherever possible, either statewide or on a county-by-county basis. Uh, we, We recognize the role elective surgeries play in finances for local hospitals, and we'll be working with states to enable that. Uh, that's a huge thing uh, because thankfully we don't, we're not overwhelmed in any of the hospitals. Louisiana thought they were heading down that road, but there was some quick action from the government, local government, 
and they avoided it. There were sadly 1,500 people plus that lost their lives, 25,000 cases. But those stats are not new to my next guest, uh, Senator uh, Kennedy. Welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thank you, Brian. Senator, first off, uh, what's your take right now of uh, the opening up states? How close is Louisiana to doing just that or to a, or a phased open? It's up, of course, to our governor. Um, I hope that he follows the guidelines developed by Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks, uh, set forth by the president. Uh, our numbers are headed in the right direction in Louisiana. New Orleans was and is a hot spot, but our numbers are better there. If you look at our, our total number of state cases, uh, Brian, in Louisiana, uh, well over half are, are in the, and we're in the New Orleans metropolitan area. Um, our economy um, is, is um, uh, heavily re- relying on uh, oil and gas, tourism, petrochemical manufacturing, timber production, agriculture, aquaculture. We don't have a lot of large companies. Um, we have mostly small businesses, and they're hurting badly. And, uh, you know, the uber elites and some members of the media, some entrenched politicians, academics, uh, say you're morally tainted if you, uh, if you, if you want to talk about the economy. I, I think that point of view is untethered to reality. The truth is that... Uh, there's been a, a lot of damage done, both in terms of public health and in terms of uh, our economic health. And clearly, we've got to uh, be concerned about both. I think there's a way to open up and uh, protect lives, but at the same time, protect livelihoods. I mean, I've, I've heard some national commentators suggest that... Uh, Geez, we shouldn't even open. Think about opening up the economy until, until uh, clearly we we have uh, uh, almost no coronavirus cases, and by then the economy will have collapsed. I wish we could do that, but the, we will have burned down the village to save it. I mean, people that that honestly, and, and if you disagree with them, they say, "Oh, you're putting dollars uh, over human life." No, that, I, I think that's that's a very sophomoric point of view. Absolutely. And Senator, uh, Senator Kennedy with us right now. Uh, Senator, the big thing is now you're in the uh, you're in the Senate side. You're in control of the budget. You have a uh, say on the budget committee. Uh, that's where you are a member of the Senate Judiciary and Budget Committee Appropriations Committee. You know that we've if you look at what the Fed has done, we've done over four, uh, four to six trillion dollars worth of money that we had to print to use. And when Mitch McConnell sees that and sees a push now for a rescue four package, he said this, cut 27. We're not interested in uh, revenue replacement for state governments. We're interested in trying to help them with anything related to the coronavirus. We're not interested in solving their pension problems or all these other things that they would like for us to finance. And because of that, there's been blowback from uh, Republican Congressman Peter King to... Uh, Democratic Governor Andrew Cuomo. Where do you stand? 
I think there has to be shared sacrifice, Brian. I, I would make two points. Number one, in the CARES Act, um, we provided uh, state and local governments and state uh, higher education institutions with a lot of money. In my state, we received for our public universities, our local governments, our state governments, well over $2 billion. To, uh, 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 yeah, about, about $2.2 billion, $50 million, I think. Now, that's a lot of money. And that money, to my knowledge, has not all been spent. Uh, I'd, I'd like to see a budget in every state, and this is my second point, uh, before we start writing checks, saying here's where, uh, here's how we're going to use the money you've already given us, which is a lot of money. Mm-hmm. It's about $175 billion that we gave to all the states. Uh, here's how we're going to use that money. Here's where we're short. Okay. Here's where we can make make it uh, accountable. Make reductions. Right. Uh, that makes sense. Uh, just tell us because we don't want them paying their bills. We knew that New York was six uh, six billion overdrawn before this happened. Let alone now, with all the tax revenue they get in, we're still not paying our bills. And I think that's what Mitch McConnell's saying. Because you have high taxes in Illinois and you're losing a lot of these people from New York, uh, don't make us pay. There's nothing to do, make it sure it has something to do with the coronavirus. So, Senator. Uh, in the big picture, when we go to another uh, rescue package, maybe we could save all that if we begin to open up the country. And when you see the antibody test take place in New York, and when you do the math, it turns out that 21% of the state had this already, and only 0.5% when you do all the and when you build out this uh, this chart, only 0.5% uh, died. Have we shut down a whole country for 0.5%, 94% of which had underlying conditions? Can't we protect those most susceptible and let us go back to work? Brian, we're, we're, we don't know yet in terms of uh, the impact of the virus, not economically, but in terms of our health. It, it's clear, I'm not criticizing anybody, everybody did the best they can, but it's clear that a lot of the models on which on which we relied made those uh late night psychic hotlines look respectable i mean they were just clearly wrong now i know they were doing the best that they could here's what i think and i could be wrong but this is based on the studies that i've read out of stanford and northeastern university in boston i think that the uh, coronavirus is very prevalent I think there are millions of people walking around out there that have it and don't know it, never will know it. They might have had something that they thought was a cold. Clearly, uh, the coronavirus can make some of us very sick. It can kill some of us. But it it, it doesn't have that impact for the majority of us. Number two, we can not stop it, but we can somewhat control it with the social mitigation practices that we have all, all been practicing and that Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burt say, say we have to we open up. I also know that at some point, I don't know which point, and I don't want to find out, this economy will collapse. Uh, and if the American economy collapses, the world economy collapses. There's a reason that everybody else in the world wants to buy dollars right now. I sit on the banking committee in addition to other committees. I talk to our federal, uh, senior Federal Reserve officials all the time. 
They're holding this economy together with spit and duct tape. And I, I think our banks are doing fine, thanks to the Federal Reserve. But at some point, if no one can pay their debts, um, yep. then our banking system will collapse. Now, I don't, I'm not saying it's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know when it will happen. I don't want to find out. We can appropriate all the money that we don't have, and all this money we've appropriated, we don't have 5% of it. But, but we, we can't neither – the United States Congress nor the Federal Reserve System can buy the whole economy. Uh, the, the only thing that's going to get us out of the economic nightmare is to get the economy back open safely. Let me say that. Safely. Right. I hear you. Senator, did you have a chance to watch the draft? I don't know if you saw who got taken number one overall. Oh yeah, I mean, I was. It was. We, we were pretty sure Joe was going to go number one. LSU set a record for the number of uh, players we had drafted in the first round. I was. I was very proud of my guys. Uh, uh, it was a nice, nice break from otherwise grim news. Absolutely, and uh, overall, even Dr. Fauci got involved. Listen to this. Cut 48. The NFL football draft is a very important component of the sports world in the United States and even in some respects worldwide. I want to commend those involved in these decisions to show that we can have something as important as that in a way that safeguards the life, the safety and the health of the American public. Senator, I know it's not life and death, but we do need sports back. Have you uh, and... Uh, other lawmakers looked at ways to do this because you got to be creative. But don't you believe there is a way? Yes, there's a way, but we're going to have to be very careful, Brian, and be very, uh, very, very creative. Um, uh, Dr. Fauci is is right. Um, I mean, Dr. Fauci is a a, a jock himself. Uh, he he played basketball, and I think he still runs. Uh, and he's right. I mean, the sports are part of America, and we will get back to normal there. But we're going to have to be really, really careful. I mean, we can't – Tiger Stadium on Saturday night at LSU, people packed in. Um, I don't think we're going to be able to make that leap immediately. But we're resourceful. We'll figure it out, um, and we'll take it a step at a time. Right. And uh, we know that Louisiana will be back when New Orleans comes back. And what would you, would you, uh, when do you predict that uh, Governor Edwards will make that decision? I think he's thinking about it. I, my, this is just a, a, a guess. Um, I have a feeling that New Orleans will reopen later than, than uh, parts, other parts of our state. Um, I don't know. What will happen, I'm not saying it will happen, but if the governor and our mayor in New Orleans disagree, I hope they can work it out. But oh, well over half of our cases are in the New Orleans metropolitan area. And based on our mayor's comments in New Orleans, I have a feeling they will open much later than the, uh, the rest of the state. Yeah, I just hope uh, Democratic states do not try to hold back their economy to make sure Trump's economy is not going well in November. Is that a worry you have? Well, sure, Brian. I mean, I, I, look, I don't think most of my colleagues 
my Democratic friends, I think most of them, of them are in perfectly good faith. They, they want what we all want. They, they want our lives back. They want to save lives. They want our economy back. We all want the same thing. But we, I also live in, a real, in the real world, uh, uh, and I work in Washington, D.C., and there are some of the uber elites uh, who think they're smarter and more virtuous than the American people uh, and who hate the president. Uh, I think there's some that are looking at this through a cynical lens. I regret that, but that's the way it works in Washington, D.C. I mean, if you ask the average American, um, both on the left and on the right, I think they'll, most of them will tell you they think that common sense is illegal in Washington, D.C., that it's all just about <laughs> uh, power and prestige and, and advantage. Right. And to some extent, they're right. Yeah, uh, there's no tickets issued. Uh, they were looking for people displaying common sense. So far, they've gotten no no tickets. Uh, Senator Kennedy, always great talking to you. Uh, that good, thank goodness you bent the curve, and and the fear seems to uh, you dodged a bullet in Louisiana. Hopefully, we'll get this economy going again. Thanks, Senator. Brian, thanks, man. Good to talk to you. I love your show. Same here. I appreciate you saying that. When we come back, uh, your turn, one 408 We have a lot to discuss. More to know is also on deck and also going to go through your emails, I promise. Newsmakers and newsbreakers, hear it first, only on The Brian Kilmeade Show. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. We're back, one 408 7669 I'm going to give you an idea of more to know, but I also want to get through your emails and some of your calls. Uh, here's, a, here's what everybody's saying. Uh, first off, Richard Roman writes me and said, New York. New York is not utilizing the testing they know they have. It's on the data they provide. It's down 10,000 because less people are going to hospitals. He wants more testing, but he's not even utilizing the testing he has right now. That is from Richard Roman. Richard, thank you so much. Also, uh, Nate writes me. Uh, says a big fan, said, I would love to hear your real thoughts on the COVID-19 situation. Maybe that everyone calms down and no longer is worried about uh, being politically correct. How do I, I believe our great president reacted to the, in the manner in which he did his election, an election year, and not wanting to be portrayed as uncaring. Bottom line is the flu still has higher levels of fatalities. According to what we saw today from the reports on the antibody test, there's 0.2% of those who get it, 0.2, will die. So in one way, Nate, I think you're right. And um, I got a new book selection. Saw you on C-SPAN yesterday. I did not know we aired this again. You watch C-SPAN all the time, Pete. You okay. didn't see this? So I did that interview on the Alamo, on uh, Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers. One of the greatest and present, presently unknown person is George Roger Clark. He has a Memorial Park statue and building in Indiana. He's gained the Northwest Territory. Look into that. I will look into that. And let's go out to the calls. Debbie is listening to WLNI over in Virginia. Hey, Debbie. Ryan, um, listen, I was thinking, you know, it's been bothering me that they, they're all this trillions of dollars that they're giving to companies yes. to, you know, pay their employees. Why aren't they just paying us 
like going through the IRS, finding out what our salaries are, giving us 10 weeks worth of our salary, and then paying the companies what their bills are. You know, separate us. Why Why is the money up to the I agree. company? That might not be a bad idea or give you over or that or give you overdraft or give the company overdraft on their overdraft, itemize their overdraft and then repay it. I like that because people are ignoring the small business owners as if you're the bad guys. Exactly. You've got you've got all these trillions and trillions of dollars that did not need to be spent. And how are we ever going to pay that back? It's ridiculous. Uh, well, yeah, I, I hope you go in there and fight and explain it to the banks so when you get the money and then you itemize everything. I understand they're going to be kind of open to it. They just want to make sure there's no fraud. And there's already been some fraud, and we've, we've gotten to the bottom of a lot of it. Thanks so much for the call. Yeah, Let's but- find out there's more to know. Uh, more to know. A giant asteroid flying by the Earth next week. Looks like it's wearing a mask. The asteroid estimated to be 1.2 miles away will fly by Earth. And if an asteroid could be aware of such things, it appears to be wearing a face mask in deference to the pandemic, according to images that we saw in Puerto Rico. I don't know if that's a joke, but I took it as serious. Next. It turns out a review of several published studies have included that drinking any alcohol during pregnancy could lead to the child having poorer thinking and learning disabilities. Researchers at the University of Bristol in England said they went through 23 different studies and found a likely connection. The problem is not now. We all know that now. No one told my parents. So they were drinking like crazy back then and smoking. And then we do the studies in 2020. We've already came to that conclusion. Thanks a lot. It's not going to help me with my SATs. So angry. Brian Kilmeade, Joe. Keep it here. Exciting, impactful week. I guess. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade Joe, one of the final hours of the week. Thanks so much for being here in a historic times, impactful. So many different ways to take this story. What you're doing at home is one. What about the programs that are coming your way and money that might be uh, in your uh, bank account is number two. Number three is spot, uh, solving this disease, getting a remedy and getting a vaccine long term. And, of course, what's it doing to our country economically? We have it all covered. Kevin Hassett from the White House will be joining us, an economic advisor there. Uh, Shannon Bream is uh, almost ready. She's going to be with us shortly. And to help us through the world of sports, where we go from here, uh, the finest sportscaster of his generation. Uh, He was already one of the best at maybe 25 years old. Bob Costas joins us live to talk about round one of the NFL draft in this pandemic time, as well as what's going to happen with baseball, what's going to happen with golf, what's going to happen with soccer, what's going to happen with uh, football, college football, too, and what it means for universities uh, he has not only context, but perspective. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. And what does the distinguished leader on the Senate side, Mr. McConnell, say? I'm not doing any more bills. I think the state should go bankrupt. Oh, really? What made you think that was a good idea? Well, because we're out of money. Gloves are off after passing a $2.4 trillion aid package and then a 
$500 billion uh, 3.5 rescue package, the state-by-state pushback, and what Democrats are determined to do. Here's a hint. Spend, spend, spend. Number two. We have uh, authorized two clinical trials for vaccines. One is already going and has been for the last month. And that's really good news mm-hmm. because this virus was only really identified back in January. So really lightning speed for getting this forward. Yeah, I just want to see it. I don't want to get close. I want to see it. That was Dr. Stephen Hahn with Shannon last night, making gains on the medical front, the latest on the vaccines and the natural bias killer, virus killer. It's called, jot this down, S-U-N. Sun. Number one. At the present moment, 16 states have released formal reopening plans. States are beginning to make those plans. And we're encouraged to see so many states embracing the phased approach. Uh, There you go. The vice president of the United States opening up and pushing back. 16 states made some uh, going back to work plans and Americans are pushing back around the country against ridiculous restrictions on life and liberty. In fact, Pete just handed me something uh, that governor uh, who has protests in front of our house, but somehow has high approval ratings, has decided to alleviate some pressures, unnecessary pressures on the people of Michigan, allowing them to mow their lawn and landscapers to go back to work and get this buy grass seed. Thank you. Soon, rakes. Joining us now, Shannon Bream. She's going to be on at 11 o'clock tonight. Author of Finding the Bright Side. Shannon, welcome back. Grass seed. Let's not get crazy, Brian. I know. Can you believe it? I don't know why you're so angry. Oh, boy. Listen, I have a lot of friends, as you probably do, who live in Michigan, and I'm getting an earful from them. Because, listen, I think everybody in the polls show us people are willing to go along with restrictions that they believe uh, are helpful, that will protect vulnerable people, that will keep their neighbors safe. I mean, I think we all have goodwill. Everybody wants to do that. Um, But on the other side of it, when people can't understand or there doesn't seem to be a logical reason for what you're doing, it's hard for you to keep their trust as an elected official. Okay, uh, Shannon, let's go further, especially in our country, land of the free, home of the brave, and brave, unless you want to go outside, unless you want to sunbathe, unless you want to go surfing, please, please let me the last time a surfer on a wave spread a virus. Okay, I'm out of time. No, it hasn't happened. But in California, there were protests. Uh, in, uh, in Connecticut, there were protests. You mentioned in Michigan, in protests. In Houston, Police officers, union president, slammed the judge who ordered the arrest of citizens not wearing masks. That's in Texas. So the cops are pushing back against their lawmakers. And what I'm astounded by, and I don't want to put you into an opinion situation, I'm astounded the president and everybody else is on the governor of Georgia. He's just doing things a few days earlier than everybody else. He wants to stand up the economy like all of us. Are you surprised that Governor Kemp is getting blowback from Republicans? Um, no, only because I think some of the specific businesses that he's talking about, it's really hard to stay within the guidelines that everybody sort of, well, I don't want to say agreed to, but that the administration, the task force put together. Because even in phase one, you know, there are limits. There's still social distancing and that kind of stuff. So I think when you say tattoos and hair salons where you you have to physically be touching people i don't think it it lines up with the hey still wear your mask and keep your six feet away i mean there may be some creative way to do it i haven't seen it yet so i do think people feel like that doesn't belong in phase one because it's human to human contact that's you know you can't get around that if you're giving someone a tattoo 
Um, you know, so I get why he's getting some pushback, but I get the other side too. the folks you mentioned out of Houston. And we had one of the sheriffs on from Michigan, who's one of these four sheriffs who sent a letter saying we're not going to enforce some of this stuff that the uh, governor wants us to do. So, I mean, I think that even law enforcement is saying, listen, I, I, these guys are others saying I, I took an oath to uphold not only my state constitution, depending on what kind of officer they are, but the U.S. Constitution. And I think some of what you guys are cranking out violates that. And I'm not going to, as a law enforcement officer, be involved with something I think is unconstitutional. Right. Uh, I will say this. What if they allowed tattoos in Costco? Then what would happen? Because we're allowed mm-hmm. to go to Costco, but we're not allowed to. Uh, but we're not allowed to get a tattoo. Here's an example: If you're giving me a tattoo, and I've asked, and you've said no, if, but if you're giving me a tattoo, wearing a mask and gloves, and I'm wearing a mask and uh, gloves, and I'm not have a fever, you could give me that tattoo. I'll be okay, right? Especially if you have an N95 mask. Which, right, by the right. way, I mean, that's what they have anyway? Yeah, I mean, you think about a tattoo parlor. They do have a lot of physical safety protocols in place in a lot yeah. of places. I will tell you there was one time years and years ago that I was with some friends okay. and we, we thought, I don't currently have any tattoos, but I thought about it that night. And we went in there. This is in Florida. And every state is different. And um, we were laughing so much and so nervous and so crazy, they thought that we might have been drinking. And they can turn you away for a tattoo for that reason in Florida if they think you're drinking. They have all kinds of ways they can turn you away. Um, there are safety protocols in place. If you won't cooperate yes. with those, they can say, no, we won't do it. But it's really state by state. So I don't know what the rules are in Georgia. But listen, the world, this country, we're all going to be watching very closely. I think everybody's cheering for Georgia. They want this to work so everybody else can go back to work and get out of their houses. I mean, we, we want to see success. I, I am, although, yeah. you know, I mean, you know that there's going to be some recurrence of the virus at some level when you unleash people to go back out and interact with each other. I mean, that seems like it is just an inevitability, and they seem to have a plan for that if it happens. Uh, you did a great interview with Dr. Stephen Hahn, the FDA commissioner. He pointed out some very positive things when it comes to vaccines. You really pressed him. Cut 18. We have uh, authorized two clinical trials for vaccines. One is already going and has been for the last month. And that's really good news Mm -hmm. because this virus was only really identified back in January. So really lightning speed for getting this forward. And the president is absolutely right. We have uh, worked very closely with the uh, vaccine makers as well as the NIH and the CDC uh, to develop a plan where we can further escalate and really ramp up the manufacturing of this before all the data are known about whether the vaccine is, is, is effective. We're getting there, and uh, they're, they're really making progress, but nothing yet. The day that vaccine comes through, it'll be, it'll be like we all got exonerated by the Mueller report. It'll be that exciting. <laughs> Some people didn't find that exciting, if you'll recall. <laughs> oh. Okay, that's right. Maybe um, it was a bad example. There's some people, and listen, there's some people you- out there who say, I don't, uh, you know, I don't trust a vaccine. I still will worry about it. I'm not going to lie. There's someone in my house that gets the flu vaccine every year, and there's someone who sometimes gets it, a lot of times doesn't get it. I think this is going to be different for people, especially if they think, all right, this is a ticket back to getting us back to normal and, and, you know, relieving our suffering, relieving our neighbor's suffering, getting the economy going. 
um, you know, we'll we'll see. I mean, they say best case scenario, it's at least a year away. But what I find fascinating is all these right. tests that keep coming back in their little samples, but showing that maybe in some of these hotspots, there are more people infected and recovered than we ever thought possible. And maybe that yes. helps us with herd immunity, which gets us one step closer. Yes, I'm pro-herd immunity in this case because if it, it's indeed happened in New York, where 21% of the people had it, most didn't know it. Only 0.5% lost their lives to it, and that's sad for everybody. I get it, but it's so low. Is it worth stopping the whole country? Now, um, so that's going to be the big question. Right, now, do you still have the dance parties? Is it a pandemic dance party night or not until it's over? You know what? We thought about trying to do them by Zoom because that's how we're doing all of our meetings and seeing each other, and that's been loads of fun. Um, but we decided that once our team is back together, because we're all in, you know, 20 different places putting the show together, that we're going to have a massive post-COVID party. It's going to be a dance party for the ages, and maybe you could be our celebrity guest. I would like to. It depends how it pays. That's, uh, that's what it really comes down to with me. We'll get it's into all it. About My money. people will call your people. Exactly. Shannon, uh, great shows every night. I watch you every morning uh, at 3 a.m. Uh, and it really Thank helps you. me out. So I owe you a favor. Thank you. Uh, but I'll everyone else got to watch at 11 o'clock Eastern time. Shannon, thank you. When we come back, we go out to the White House. Kevin Hassett, the president's senior advisor, focusing on the economy. Keep your fingers crossed. We're going to keep bending that curve. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Do ideas that are going to be great for the people of this country. And if we can help states, we're always going to help states. Now, there's different ways of helping states. Some ways are better than others. So we're looking. Uh, it is interesting that the states that are in trouble do happen to be blue. It is interesting. You know, if you look around, I mean, the states that seem to have the problem happen to be Democrat. Uh, Donald Trump knows high-tax states are forcing many to flee. That's a fact. It's uh, Illinois, you're gone. It's New York, you've been leaving in droves. And in California, we know they've been populating Florida as well as Texas at a pretty dizzying rate. That was before this happened. And New York had a $6 billion deficit before this happened. But right now, everybody's tax revenue is at zero. Should the states be getting money in Rescue 4, and should there even be one? Let's bring in uh, Kevin Hassett, White House Senior Advisor, esteemed economist, uh, to the President of the United States. Kevin, thanks for joining us. Welcome back to the White House. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Brian. It's, it's, it's an honor to be called back by the President to help in this national emergency. Man, they certainly need you. Uh, couldn't wipe <laughs> that smile off your face as that uh, tax plan, tax reduction plan was put forward for the President as the economy was roaring. And now it's all falling apart through no fault of anyone's except China. So I have to ask you, when, uh, when there's a, people talk about Rescue 4 and a direct bailout of the states, what's your reaction? Can we afford that? Well, I think that the president has said that, you know, he's willing to, you know, put everything on the table uh, and see how the economy's doing and go into the next phase of tax negotiations, uh, you know, willing to deal. And, and, and so if the Democrats have a high priority, then, of course, it's going to depend on whether they are willing to give the president some of his top priorities as well. And so I think that the analysis of the next round is something that's been going on inside the White House already for a few weeks, because we know that we're, we have 
have to move on to the next stage. You know, we're looking at an unprecedentedly grave shock to the economy, and there's still more that we have to do. The Democrats have a high priority of helping state and local governments, and the president has said that he's open to talking about that. So uh, Mike Pence said uh, we could be open by Memorial Day. Cut three. Do you think I'll be on my boat and fishing in early June, uh, Mr. Vice President? I I think, uh, honestly, if you look at the trends today, uh, that I think by Memorial Day weekend, we will largely have uh, this uh, coronavirus epidemic behind us. Uh, From your lips uh, to God's ears. State and local officials will begin to reopen activities. You're going to see states in the days ahead here begin to do that. Gotcha. So do you feel that way? And if so, what's left of our economy at that point? What gets built up first? Well, what's going to happen is that the states that have uh, had, you know, very little experience with the disease and have it, you know, more or less under control are going to start following the president's guidelines for opening up America again. And, you know, we're already seeing some states move in that direction. And then, you know, we expect that the states will, you know, one after the other start following the guidelines and open up their economy safely. And if uh, the states can continue to do that, which is really, you know, in some sense going to be determined by the path of the virus then I think that we'll be looking at, you know, a really terrible second quarter, uh, but uh, we'll have sort of built a bridge to the third quarter that will make it so that the economy can recover quickly. And and so I think that, again, as long as, long as we can get the economy going soon, I think that given all the massive policy interventions that we've passed already and the things that we plan for the next phase, that people can be confident that we can turn this thing around. One in six Americans have lost their jobs, and probably didn't have to tell you that. 97% of the U.S. population currently at stay-at-home orders or shelter-in-place. At what point do you, as an administration, say, life is full of risks, but we won't have a country if we stay on the sidelines? And are there economists in these meetings with the doctors and, uh, and the science, and scientists? Sure. You know, absolutely. Uh, you know, I work with uh, the task force members every day. I, I see uh, Dr. Burks every day. My office is almost across the hall from hers. And uh, we talk about everything. And I think that uh, the guidelines for opening up America again came out to guide states to open safely. And that I think that that output is really something that um, is economically needed. And it's been produced by this excellent health team. Uh, the president is putting health health first. But, you know, I think now because we've done that, we have, I guess you could, shouldn't call it a luxury, but we have the ability to open up again and to do so safely. And, you know, some states, other states like New York State are going to have to hold on a little bit longer uh, to make sure they got the disease under control. But but there's not a conflict between the doctors and the economists. In fact, we're working really well together. And, and in fact, you know, our data analysis from the economic team is being quite useful to them at times, I think they would admit. Wow. Uh, when you look at the rest of the world, I looked at Germany is going uh, is really starting up as of Monday. You see what Sweden's doing. They never shut it down. Denmark did. And now they're firing it up again. Italy's looking at getting their sectors going. Where does Kevin Hassett look to think or is it China or is it Japan or Taiwan? Where does Kevin Hassett look to see a template for the way out of this? 
you know, you asked exactly, as you always do, you asked exactly the right question. And I can tell you that what we're doing right now is that we've uh, looked at the countries that are a little bit ahead of us in the recovery uh, phase, and we're studying them really carefully every day, and that we have presentations ready for White House decision makers that are updated every day. You know, what if we look like Italy? What if we look like Germany? What if we look like Denmark? What if we look like Korea? You know, how does that future play out? And I think that what we're doing, you know, as a White House is that we're looking at the complete set of future possibilities and thinking about what actions we need to take if we find ourselves along that path. And so I'm, you know, not an epidemiologist, and so I can't tell you if we're more likely to be like Italy or Germany. But, you know, we're watching all of those things and presenting the president with the information he needs to think about it. And I'm very thrilled to see uh, uh, that, like, for example, the Bundesliga is getting going again. They're going to start to have soccer games uh, that without fans in the stadiums, but they'll be televised. And, you know, I'm very much looking forward to having the sports leagues in the U.S. do something like that as well. Wow. A guy that likes soccer. We're coming up next. Perfect segue. Bob Costas. Kevin, stay online. You'll hear him talk about how we get back into sports if it is indeed possible. He'll be next. Kevin, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Like millions of fans, I join you from my home for the first virtual NFL draft. This is different for us, and it's different for you. Lastly, the best part of the draft is that it restores hope and generates optimism because every team gets better through the draft. I've never seen more people more happy about any single sporting event, than, and that includes the Super Bowl. Then the buzz that was around the NFL draft that took place on Zoom, and they came off, in my mind, flawlessly, the best possible way, we actually sought to see something new in sports. I don't know how Bob Costas feels. I know he's at the top of the game and has been uh, really since the 1980s. Uh, Bob, I always think a guy like Bob Costas has seen it all, experienced it all. But you're like the rest of us. We've never seen anything like this. Was yesterday a, re- a, a relief at all for you to see something new and newsworthy? Yeah, it was, Brian. And, you know, I always think of things, at least in part, from a television and broadcasting standpoint. And this was a difficult thing to pull off. You and others are doing everything by Zooming and FaceTime and Skype and other new technologies. But usually it's confined to a couple of people or a handful of people. This was a far-flung thing with cameras in the homes of potential draft choices and, of course, Goodell and Trey Wingo and others in different places. And it came off without a hitch. It was a really impressive television production. And Joe Burrow's story, he had perhaps, you can make a good case, the single best season any college quarterback has ever had in history with all the drama along with his performance itself. But then he turns out to be such an admirable young guy. I think it was uplifting for the country. Yeah. And just now to get too far off the big picture, and I want to go through all sports with you and how you think they might come back. What I thought was so great that Joe Burrow said, and they say, you know, you tried to make it at other schools and, you know, it took this year for you to make it. He goes, I wasn't good enough then. 
and I had to transfer and I got better. Rather than the coach didn't like me or circumstances didn't break my way, I wasn't good enough. I had to get better. And next thing you know, he has the year he had and hopefully revitalized the Cincinnati Bengals who, you know, we grew up, they were good. They were competing with the Steelers, with Kenny Anderson, to, you know, every year. Uh, and yep. <laughs> Booby Clark, and no one has a better uh, memory than you, and Isaac Curtis. But now they're the team that tries to do things on the cheap for the most part, doesn't even have an indoor facility. But I loved it. I love the fact that Miami's now got something to build around. But the most intriguing thing in the offseason is a story that goes across the real world. Tom Brady, at 42, changes teams and is joined by Rob Gronkowski. Bob, put that in perspective. Well, it's pretty clear, and I'm not going to claim that I have any deep insight into the psychodrama that's gone on with the Patriots and between Brady and Belichick, who accomplished so much together, but after a while, maybe there was tension, and maybe that understates it. Uh, as somebody put it, Gronkowski wasn't done with football. Speaking of Gronkowski now, wasn't done with football, but maybe he was just done with Belichick. So, so now... Uh, assuming they play this year, and that may be a big assumption, here, here is Brady. He made his choice carefully. Bruce Arians is a wide-open, offense-minded coach. He's a player's kind of coach. He's a different sort of personality than Belichick. And that's not a criticism of Belichick, who's the most accomplished coach in NFL history. But after a while, after 20 years, you know, anybody could get on somebody's nerves, especially when he's such a, such a driven sort of personality. Bruce Arians is a different kind of personality, but he's a good football mind. Uh, the Buccaneers already had a strong receiving core. Now you add a quarterback of Brady's quality, even at 42, and Gronkowski, assuming his body is healed and he's anything close to what he used to be, and boom, Tampa's a force. So Tom Brady uh, gave an interview to uh, heralded sportscaster Howard Stern, was asked the question about (laughs) Belichick, cut 49. You and Belichick, to me, it's got to be somewhat annoying when there's always this question, Tom Brady, greatest of all time, but if he didn't have Belichick, it wouldn't have achieved because Belichick is the brains there. Does that go through your head? I think it's a pretty argument, actually, that people would say that because... Again, I can't do his job and he can't do mine. The fact that you could say, would I be successful without him, the same level of success, I don't believe I would have been. Interesting, right? And, and I wonder where you were at weigh in on that, Bob. I think Tom's got it exactly right. And, you know, when you are, I guess you could always make an argument for somebody else, but no one can be put ahead of Tom Brady. No one can be put ahead of Michael Jordan. And when you have that kind of assurance of the way history will treat you, you don't have to spend much time justifying or defending anything. So I think Tom handles it exactly right. The results speak for themselves. Sports talk radio has to have fodder, and so they'll kick around various arguments, and that's always one that gets people going. But Tom just has to sit back and say, hey, I did what I did, and now maybe I can do a little bit more in Tampa Bay. Uh, He's cool about it as he should be, as Jordan is. Yeah, uh, and of course he ended up in Washington. Uh, Bob Costas with us, but he needs no introduction. Bob, so let's look at this unprecedented time. The last word I heard was um, there's going to be no NFL, obviously, off-season camps. They don't look to play in the summer, be ready to play in the fall. And do you believe week one will be in October? What are your sources? What does what your gut tell you? 
One very well-connected person told me that the NFL has a plan. It's probably not the only plan. All sports probably have multiple contingency plans, best case, worst case, and everything in between, as they should. Who knows if any of them will pan out, but they should have these plans. And one plan is for the NFL to start in November, and the Super Bowl takes place in March, which would make sense. And you could certainly pull that off, and people would, uh, in terms of scheduling and people's interest, uh, it would be fine. Uh, it would take place in March, and I guess they would have to take into account um, some neutral sites. It's one thing to play playoff games uh, in Arctic conditions in Green Bay or Chicago in January. It's another thing to play regular season games under those conditions. So perhaps they'd have to have regional sites where there are domes like Indianapolis or Minnesota or whatever the case might be. But there's one scenario that goes November to March. We'll see. Baseball. Um, Randy Levine was just on our station uh, yesterday. The owner, the, the president of the Yankees, cut 51. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of ideas that the commissioner and his team are, are looking at. Do you start with no fans and then move into your ballpark with limited fans? And how would you go about doing it? There has to be a private-public partnership that all sides, the economic sides, the health sides, are brought to bear to make sure this is done safely and reasonably with all the appropriate mitigation, social distancing, taking temperature checks, wearing masks, wearing gloves. It's all doable because I think that to have games just on TV for the whole season is not practical. What do you think, Bob? Well, I like Randy a lot, and he could be right. I respect his point of view, but I think the most likely and most practical outcome, if they're able to play any games at all, and I underline if, is without fans. If something's 90% successful, it's going to be a failure. If the 10% uh, causes some sort of outbreak among the participants, and also if there's a public perception that somehow Sports is getting preferential treatment um, when other people within society need it as much or more. That's a public relations nightmare. And I think that baseball faces a different uh, circumstance because even to play half a season involves so many more games. What basketball and hockey are looking at, if they're able, is some kind of playoff thing uh, that starts right away. Just seed the playoffs based on where the regular season left off and get it over with. Baseball, to have any kind of valid season leading into the playoffs, has to play 80 games or so. That's pretty difficult. That's going to take three to four months of quarantining young people with young families, maybe with babies on the way at home. Uh, Not only would you have to quarantine them and the umpires and other officials, but what about the guy who picks up the towels in the locker room? What about the guy who drives the bus or turns on the lights at the stadium, even without fans? There's a lot of pitfalls here. People are going to get hurt and go on the injured list. What about AAA? They're not playing minor league baseball. What are you going to do? You're going to quarantine 10, 12 guys per team just in case somebody is hurt or you want to make roster moves? There's a lot of things that can fall through the cracks here, even with the best intentions and the best practices. So I want to see sports as much as anybody else. And I understand the value. Even without fans, people would watch it. It would be a respite, just like the draft was last night, just like the Last Dance documentary is for a lot of people. I get it, and I want it to come back. I just think that there are a lot of 
perhaps unforeseen consequences. So I'll believe it when I see it. Absent a vaccine, of course, that would be one of the, it would be a national holiday if that ha- international holiday oh, yeah. if that happens. I, I'm just wondering if there are really smart people that could set up some protocols where basically quarantining the players, limiting the locker room access, taking testing every other day, uh, and while seating a stadium of 36,000 with 5,000 with you know this proper spread for non-family members. I just wonder if there are smart people, really enterprising people willing to take that risk and no one's forcing fans to do it. I'm wondering if there's, a, if there's something out there, especially with these immunity tests that are now available even in New York. So I don't know. It, Bob, it seems to me that baseball has so much respect for you that they might have tapped you already. Have they? Have they called you up and said, what do you think? No. No, they haven't. I have conversations with people within baseball, but nobody specifically has said, what's the cost this plan? I'm sure they have many, many smart people at work on it. But like I said before, Brian, and I share your interest in seeing it all come back as soon as practically and safely possible. But 90 or 95 percent is a good grade on most tests. It wouldn't be the right grade on this test. And even think about it. Let's say you have 10,000 fans at the game and they're socially distanced in the seats. How are you going to get them through the turnstiles in a socially distanced way and still start the game on time? You know, the stadiums aren't set up in anticipation of this. And I guess this next point isn't that important, but it would be odd. You're going to be wearing a mask in the stands at a ball game. You're not going to have a beer at the ball game. You're not going to have a hot dog. You're not going to be able to slap the guy on the shoulder next to you and say, wow, what a play that was or what a dumb decision that was by the manager. I'm not saying that can't happen, but it's just weird. Yeah, the latter would be more for Met games. Uh, the first one more for Yankee games. <laughs> but, uh, but would you, I mean, right now they're already talking about, the Mets are talking about if we play and the game's delayed, we, we have to give you a pay cut because the stadium, we're not going to have as many games. So baseball really needs more in ticket sales than football, I guess the, uh, the sports business minds have told mm-hmm. me. And if that is indeed true, will players agree to a play? Uh, uh, a pay cut? Well, you know, Scott Boris, the super agent, and, and all of his colleagues will probably have a say in this. And the uh, Major League Baseball Players Association is the toughest union of all uh, the sports unions. But the argument could be made, look, first of all, if we only play half a season and you get half your salary, that's better than nothing. They'll have to negotiate something. Um, And the case has to be made that if we don't get this television revenue and maybe some other ancillary uh, revenue, we can't pay you. And every contract, as I understand it, has some sort of force majeure um, clause within it that that could be invoked. So uh, I I, I think they would have to accept. They would have to accept some sort of of rearrangement. Uh, The Players Association already took a $170 million lump sum toward the end of spring training to be distributed among the entire membership. No players are getting paid in the meantime. So what, whatever they come back to get is more than they would presently have. Bob, two more issues in baseball before we talk about the other thing that could be really troublesome and for college sports, and that's college football. But in terms of baseball, minor leagues could pay the price. I know there was a proposal out there that cut back the number of minor league teams. There was pushback on it. Now what do you think? Well, everything is in abeyance now. Uh, any kind of plan going forward uh, has to just be pushed down the road until you get back to something closer to normal 
circumstances. That's a complicated issue, uh, the relationship between the major leagues and the minor leagues. Yeah. But minor league teams especially often run, on a relatively speaking, on a shoestring. So they're going to be hit hard mm-hmm. in some cases by this. And the point you made earlier is correct. Many fans may not realize this or haven't thought about it. Uh, baseball is more dependent on gate receipts than the other sports. It, it matters a lot to all sports, but it's a larger chunk of the revenue pie for baseball, both major and minor league, uh, than, than other factors. And, in fact, in the minor leagues, broadcast revenue is insignificant. It's all gate revenue. Lastly, it looks like if it's true and your sources are right and football, NFL football is delayed, they put, put college football to the spring. Does that sound like the most plausible outcome, even though we're all guessing? It's one outcome. I can't see college football or, for that matter, the early part of the college basketball season when, in many cases, there won't be students on campus. A lot of these campuses are going to be essentially closed down. And while we know that in some cases it's a sham to talk about student-athletes, we want to believe that at least some of the time it's a legit thing. So if you're playing football and you're playing basketball and nobody's in the classrooms, they've either dropped out of school or they're learning online, exactly what do these teams represent except revenue streams? It really is a bad look. Uh, if if they play college sports when right. the other students are not on campus and when the other lesser sports, but they're just as important to the participants, the lacrosse team, the tennis team, the swim team, the crew team, they, there's no concern about bringing them back because they don't produce revenue and people don't care about it on television, but they're student athletes. So I'm very skeptical about mm. any of that returning anytime soon. Uh, maybe the best thing to do, uh, rather than playing spring football, you could certainly start college basketball if 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 health circumstances right. allowed. You could start college basketball after the first of the year. But maybe the best thing to do for football is just to say everybody's scholarship gets moved down the line. We'll take care of all of it later. You, you know, you still got the same eligibility, and we'll start up in the gotcha. fall of 2021. He's been at the top of his profession since the 1980s and remains there today. Bob, cannot thank you enough for joining us. Truly appreciate it. Brian, take care. Be well. Thanks. All right. Bob Costas, back in a moment. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Senator McConnell said it was absolutely disgraceful. For Mitch McConnell to look upon this as a giveaway. You know, it's not a giveaway when there's a tornado or a flood or a hurricane in Kentucky or the states adjacent to Mitch McConnell. We give the money. We voluntarily give it because we know that this is a national problem that has to be addressed. That is uh, Peter King, retiring congressman from my district. I normally agree with him. I think you really got to drill down and find out what everyone's spending it for. I don't think we should actually be backfilling the New York deficit or the Illinois deficit or or a California deficit. But I, of course, if they could itemize and be accountable for where the money's going, we all have lost revenue. The only people that can print the money is the federal government. But uh, I expect I respect the congressman for going to bat for his district and his state. But his state is pro uh, amnesty. They're pro-sanctuary city, where the state I'm in right now. They are pro-giving illegals licenses. And I don't want to finance that with money we don't even have. Make sure it's going to the right people. And then we could all get on the same page together. And all the state did get paid off. 
Hey, go to uh, download Fox Nation. You'll love my series, What Made America Great. You're tired of Netflix? You'll love this. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.